Jesus' name. Amen. And if you want to find your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. And as we do, and we're opening 2021, I can tell you that every single person wants to live with hope this year. Uh, that, that's true of everybody you're sitting by. It's true of everybody on your street, everybody in your school. We want to live with hope. And yet, anxiety is so very prevalent. In fact, you need to know that experiencing anxiety, that, that just comes with life. You're, you're going to have times where you're feeling anxious or you're going to worry. But you don't want it to come to a place where it dominates your life and it becomes the theme. Now, doctors will tell you, those who are seeing patients on a regular basis, that anxiety and worry have featured now for several decades as one of the major reasons why they are actually seeing a patient. But when the pandemic hit, those numbers doubled for now 70 to even 80% of patients now seeking medical care find that anxiety and worry are either directly or indirectly the cause of why they're now seeking medical attention. And because anxiety and worry has become so very prevalent, what's happened is many people are turning to things that are not going to be helpful. They're destroying their relationships. They're turning to medication, um, medication that they shouldn't be on. They are overeating. Many are turning to alcohol. And what's happening is a bad problem is becoming far worse And the potential for anxiety exists in multiple areas. I mean, oftentimes it's our relationships, whether it be with our family, extended family, coworkers. Sometimes our stress comes from our jobs or our school or all the work or the demands. If you've got a leadership position, there is always stress. In fact, the higher up you go and the more responsibility you get, your stress doesn't decrease, it increases. And there's a lot of tough decisions that need to be made. And worry and anxiety can take over. And there's really three different um, causes for anxiety. And I'd like to just give them to you so that we have some perspective. Sometimes the great cause for anxiety is the fear of the future. You are worried about what you think might happen. And this is very prevalent. Um, anything from the wide effects and of the pandemic. You might be worried about the economy. You could be worried about your job. You could be worried about how it's all going to work out financially for you. Perhaps you were really worried about a particular family member. You're seeing patterns. Maybe you've got a kid that's off the tracks. And I tell you what, it's, it creates stress, anxiety, and worry. You may be very concerned about what's happening in our country with this moral revolution that's creating this great deterioration within. You may be very concerned about what's going to happen now that we've come through a rather vicious election. What's going to happen to our country in these upcoming months? What's going to be the direction? And fear of the future can create a lot of anxiety. But there's also the conflict in the present. You may be actually having a serious problem with an individual or an issue at work that is creating all sorts of angst and anxiety in your life. Your blood pressure goes up. Um, You may be in a situation where you got some people that think you should do this, and you've got others that are pulling in this direction, and they actually are going in very different directions, and you feel like you're in the middle, like a little tug-of-war, and it creates a lot of anxiety. And then 
A major source of anxiety that doesn't get talked about a lot, but is regret over the past. You've said some things, done some things. If you could relive some particular moments, you would have walked away from that situation or that person. You would have kept your mouth shut, but instead, you created all sorts of damage. There is hurt that's still reverberating, even in these present relationships. In fact, you've, uh, you saw it even come to play, even this past holiday season. And what happens is you, you believe the gospel to a point. You can't let it go and leave it with Jesus. And so what happens is you kind of rehearse this over and over, this pain, this problem, this situation. And even though Christ has paid for it all, you are at a place in your life where you just keep reliving it. And it creates tremendous amounts of anxiety and pain. Now, I want you to know all of us have anxiety at different points. That's, that's going to come. You're not, there's no exemption from that. So don't feel like, oh, no, you know, I've had a little worry about there. I was anxious about this a couple weeks ago. That's all part of a normal part of life. But it's when anxiety takes over and it becomes your way of life, then we've got a problem. How do you and I live with hope? in 2021. I mean really live with hope. The text we're going to look at today, uh, beginning in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, it will be life-changing for some of you. If you were willing to take Jesus and his words at full value, it will change the trajectory of your life. For some of you, this has been a home base for many years, and your life reflects it. But before we dive into that text, I want to pass on to you, I would say is the diagram that has been most influential in my life. Over the years, lots of people have shared different diagrams, and I've seen things, and they've, they've been helpful. I want to pass on to the one that's been, I would probably safely say, the most helpful. I actually was introduced to this diagram shortly after I became a believer in college, and there's probably not a week that goes by that I don't think about it. Sometimes it's, it's daily, especially when I'm under a lot of stress or I've got a lot of anxiety or just a, just a lot of problems just right in front of me. This diagram, I refer to it as the train diagram. Uh, even looking around, I know that I've passed it on to some of you because I've passed this on to hundreds of people over the years. And so I want to just present to you the train diagram. So here we have a train. Does anybody know what kind of particular train this is? Does anybody know who Thomas the Tank Engine is? Yes. Okay. Thomas the Tank Engine is a steam locomotive, right? And that's what this is. It is a steam locomotive. So the first car, that's the steam locomotive. Then the second one, that is the coal car. And then the final car, does anybody know what they don't? use these anymore, but that final car on the train, what was it called? Yes. The caboose. Yes. So let me just give you a little bit of background on steam locomotives since we need a little brush up on this here. So the coal car filled with coal, they would take the coal and they would put it in the firebox in the steam engine, okay? And that would be really hot. And they would take the water the, that's in a liquid form and by heat, they would convert it to steam. Hence, it was called a steam locomotive. It was the steam that propelled the engine forward. Now, 
If you've ever been alongside old railroad tracks, you'll notice that there is either a water tower or a small little town about every 8 to 10 miles. And the reason is that's all the farther a, uh, the original steam locomotives could go before they had to fill back up with liquid water again. Okay, So there were a lot of stops. You didn't make a lot of progress. Now, they eventually figured out how to carry water, but that's how it used to work. Now, um, the final car, the caboose, it would just kind of follow along. Now, this has some parallels to our life. Our faith is like the fuel in the coal car, okay? And what we want to do is put our faith in what is true, the facts, what is true about God, about our world, about life, about sin. We, we want to put our faith in what is actually true. And when we do, the engine moves forward and it stays on the tracks. We go as it was designed and intended. But here's the problem. And uh, I am speaking to myself, but I have a feeling there's others. So often... We put our faith not in what is true, in the facts, but we put our faith in our feelings. Now, feelings are very legitimate. They're given to us by God. The reason that you and I have feelings is because we're made in God's image. God is personal in nature, hence he has given us personality. Those of us who are all of us in humanity are made in his image. But the problem is, is when we put our faith in our feelings... It wasn't intended. Does anybody know what it was called, by the way, when a caboose led the train? You know, you know what it was called? It was called a train wreck. Do you know why? The caboose was never meant to lead the train. So what you and I really need to do is develop the patterns of always putting our faith in God and his truth. We have to actively pursue this. And we live in hope when our faith is in God and his truth, specifically the truths that he gives us in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. If we will do this, friends, the trajectory of our life, our stability, our hope, our countenance will be permanently marked with his presence. So let's take a look at it. The first truth that Jesus calls us to remember is found in verse 25, and that is that life is more than daily needs. Look what he says. He says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, when Jesus says, do not be worried about your life, I want you to know that sounds like impossible, right? It's almost like as if Jesus is saying, don't breathe, right? I mean, like, I mean, I have to breathe, and there's just so much to be worried about, and it's such a way of life. And yet, that is why Jesus is addressing this issue. Worry and anxiety can totally take us over. And so he says, verse 25, for this reason. For this reason is pointing to the verse right before it. Remember Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. It tells us you can only have one as your master. On our master, we are servants of God, not wealth or money or mammon. If money is your master, I want you to know you are a stressed out individual because your whole life is tied up in an idol that can never satisfy and is never stable. 
we belong to God. And so he says, for this reason, he says, do not be worried about food and about your drinking and about your body and clothing because he says, I, I'm going to care for you. Don't be anxious about these things. Now, don't, don't think like, well, that was just, that didn't really mean much to the folks what Jesus was speaking about because think of, as Americans, oftentimes we're really not worried about like where the next water fountain is or where we're going to get our next meal, right? And so we think like, well, that's just not really a big deal. But I want you to know for those who are originally hearing Jesus, food and water, that was a big deal. If there wasn't a lot of snow in the mountains, that meant there wasn't going to be a lot of snow in the rivers. If there's not a lot of water, you're going to find it hard to function. You can't live well if you can't have regular um, hydration. Furthermore, if you don't have water, you can't grow crops. If you can't grow crops, you don't eat. If you can't grow crops and sell them, it's hard to buy clothing or to make clothing. And so these were very real issues that Jesus, when Jesus spoke of these things to the people that were listening. And friends, they are as well for us. But remember, life is more than daily needs. We have to stop just being concerned about the here and now and fix and focus on the horizontal. Now, when it says that life is, when Jesus says life is more than food, I want you to know for a guy like me, that's, that's a pretty big statement because I think about food like a lot. This is how I was raised. So it would not be uncommon, like in the home that I grew up in, like if we were eating, let's say lunch, that someone would bring up, hey, what are we having for dinner, right? You know, you're eating, and next thing you know, we're talking about what we're going to have at our next meal because that's just kind of how we lived. We were excited about food. Jesus says life is more than food. So stop being worried. That word worry, it's an old English word, and it means to strangle. It's to literally pull you apart. It's the opposite of contentment. And he's saying, stop doing this. It's, it's occurring in your life. Stop. Stop being worried. The reality is that life is more than daily needs. And friends, have you ever really worried? Why some of us, like, we're really good at this. Some, this is a way of life. And you, when you're really worried, it affects everything about you, doesn't it? It can affect you physically. Anything from heart problems to digestion problems, headaches, even backaches. Uh, you can even lose your sense of coordination. You can't think straight. But do you know that worry affects you emotionally? What happens is you, you start this like downward spiral. You ever been on that? I mean, just right, right outside these doors, you know, on the playground, they got one of those spiral slides, you know, and it's all fun to watch the kids go down it. It's not so fun when you're the one emotionally going down the downward spiral, Right? It's like this vortex, and it's just one problem, and it just keeps turning over and over, and next thing you know, others are joining into it. And then, you know, it even can affect you spiritually. When we are excessively worried, what takes place is that we become spiritually disoriented. And Americans seem to, this is pretty prevalent. Some statistics that I came across here, like, these are about 50% of Americans facing stress, 50% of them are lying awake at night, um, feeling nervous, or they have just kind of a lack of energy. 
that they trace back to anxiety or worry. 35% say that when they're having stress, they, they feel just like, kind of like, just suddenly crying. You know, you ever felt like that? You're just like, I'm not even sure what's going on, but all of a sudden, you just feel like, I just got to start tearing up here. I'm, I, I'm not sure what's going on. But when you think about it, should we, just at a factual level, really allow worry to just overwhelm and consume us? In a book called Scared to Life, Douglas Rumford cites a study that explains why we shouldn't allow fear to overwhelm and rule our lives. In this study, they found this. Get this. 60% of our fears are totally unfounded. 60%. That's a lot. Totally unfounded. But nonetheless, man, they are consuming a lot of calories, right? And we're thinking a lot about them. 20% are already behind us and worrying about them or being anxious about it. Guess what? It doesn't change them. It's already in the past. And then the study also cites that 10% are so petty, they really don't make any difference. That leaves us with 10%. 4 to 5% of that remaining 10, you actually can't do anything about it. You're stressed, you're worried, no matter how much energy you put toward it, you're not going to be able to change that 4 to 5%. And the other 4 to 5%, why, there may be some things that you can do. But friends, we've got this completely out of whack. And we are so stressed out. And anxiety is, is really not accomplishing anything. He's not saying that you shouldn't have concern or be caring about people, or even providing for yourself, what he's saying is that life is more than daily needs. Remember that truth. Jesus goes on to give us another fact to focus on. Look at verse 26. He says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? You know, another truth that we really need to focus on is this. Our Father cares deeply for us. This is a particular argument called a fortiori. It's to go from the lesser to the greater. And so he starts with the lesser. He starts off with birds. He says, look at the birds. Maybe you saw some birds in your backyard even today. He's like, look at the birds in the air. They're not sowing, they're not reaping, they're gathering the barns. Has, have you ever seen a stressed out bird? Is it anybody? Last service I had a vet. I, I asked him. He, he hadn't seen a stressed out bird. Have you ever, you've seen angry birds, right? And you, you probably even have the video game. You've seen angry birds, but you've never seen a stressed out bird, right? Why? Because God cares for them in the normal, natural ways. They are looking for food and they're going to find it. And God provides for them. These are birds. Now he says what Jesus is driving at. Consider who you are. Made in God's image. Created by God. Saved by God. In relationship with him, he says, I've got you. I've got you. Are you not worth much more than they? Do you see how your heavenly father feeds them? Are you not worth much more than they? Do you see your value in God's kingdom, and especially as one of his children? Now, this isn't advocating, like, idleness, like, oh, well, I guess I'll just kind of lay around and 
something's going to appear. Someone's going to feed me. Someone's going to clothe me, take care of me. I don't have to do anything because I'm not going to be worried about it at all. I'm just going to sit here and watch football for the rest of my life, right? I want you to know that's not what Jesus is driving at. He says, I'm going to care for you. Just like he cares for birds in some pretty natural, predictable ways, it's going to be true of you. He'll provide for you through your job and your work and the ability to actually have finances. Those are the natural, normal ways. Every once in a while, like really rare, God may do some sort of major miracle, but it's pretty rare, and it's usually written in the Bible when it happens. Usually, it's the natural, normal way he cares for you. But what this text is driving at is that you need to know how deeply loved you are by the Father. When we focus on this reality, it even brings us back to the disciples' prayer, our Father, how good it is to rest in him. Let me give you another truth that Jesus wants us to always keep in mind and take to heart, and that is found in the next verse. In verse 27, worry cannot change our situation. Look what he says, and who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Maybe yours Bible says add a cubit, like, and a cubit is like 18 inches. It's the idea is that worry can't lengthen your life at all. Not a, not a bit. I want you to know that worry can have some pretty adverse uh, consequences in your life. You can actually even worry yourself to death. Many of you have heard Mayo, of the Mayo Clinic. Some of you have spent some significant time there. Dr. Charles Mayo, one of the two Mayo boys, and Rochester, Minnesota, in this world-famous clinic. He made this statement. Worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, and the whole nervous system. I have never met a man nor known a man to die of overwork, but I have known a lot who died of worry. Remember this. Worry can never add to your life. It can only subtract. Worry can never add to your life. It can only subtract. And so you need to know that you worrying about that loan going through, (laughs) that doesn't actually change whether or not the loan's going through. Worried about becoming pregnant or that you're pregnant, or wanting to be pregnant, or worried about getting rid of the cancer, or not being able to pay that bill, that worry actually doesn't change the circumstances. Worry cannot change our situation. Let me give you another truth that Jesus drives home. Remember that train diagram? Put your faith in these truths, in these facts. Look at this one here, beginning in verse 28. Our Father is in control. He says... And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. And yet I say that not even Solomon, in all his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And so now Jesus is saying, hey, think about flowers. You ever notice like the lilies, you know, they kind of come up and they look great, but guess what? They just kind of die and somebody's going to gather them up and use them to start their fire. 
In Texas, to give me give you the equivalent, it'd be like the Texas blue bonnets, okay? When they come up and they start blossoming, I mean, it is absolutely beautiful. And there are billions of them all alongside the highways and byways of Texas. I mean, once you see them, when they're in full bloom, you, you understand why parents pull over to the side, they take their kids out of the car seat and they plop them in the middle there, and they take a bunch of pictures because it's beautiful and glorious. But you also know that they aren't going to like last forever, right? I mean, it'd be great, but they're there for, you know, a few weeks. And then what happens? They dry up and they look like weeds and they're really not worth anything at that point, it seems like. What Jesus is saying is this. Remember that your father is in control. Friends, he says, verse 30, he says, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace... Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? It's not that you don't have faith. He's not condemning. This isn't condescending. What Jesus is doing, it's like he's putting his arm around you and saying, hey, you you have faith. It's, It's a little faith. But remember this. Your father, he's in control. He's got this. You know, think of it uh, as a kid. And some of you kids, like you, this, this is the world you live in. But when you were a kid, uh, how concerned were you about like the athletic fees getting paid or like the next meal or, um, you know, like the mortgage payment? Did you spend a lot of time thinking about that? There's, there's a few of you that came from really difficult homes. And and so, yeah, that was kind of on the forefront of your mind. But most kids never think of those things, you know? Like, they're they're in their parents' home, and they're not thinking about those things. You know, they're they're just doing their own life. They're concerned or worried about other things, but not that. They're not thinking about that. And generally, they're not even very thankful about that. It's like, duh, my parents are gonna take care of me. Uh, That's their job, right? And what God is saying in this text it's you're my children. I love you. And our Father has this under control. He is good, and he's sovereign, and we can trust him. We're putting our faith in those facts. You see, our faith in God allows us to overcome our fears in life. You might want to write that down. Our faith in God allows us to overcome our fears in life. Let me give you another reality to keep in mind. Beginning in verse 31, worry captivates unbelievers. Look at this. He says, do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And here, he's calling to mind the Gentiles, those who are outside God's covenant community, those who have yet to put their faith and trust in him. They are outside. And this was true of all of us at some point in our life. Maybe you're even here today, and this is your state. You are still unbelieving. And what happens is, you're going to try to find some sort of idol to pour your faith into. Everybody is a person of faith. And so if you will not or are not trusting in the one true God, you're not believing in Jesus, 
then what happens is you put it in idols, and that's what the Gentiles did. They had their fickle gods, and they were always trying to appease them, and their little gods were always letting them down no matter what sacrifices they made because they cannot actually perform at the level of true deity. They're not the one true God. And so the Gentiles, what they would do is they would be consumed with the material. They were always focused on the here and now, the clothing, the food, the drink, their jobs. Sound familiar? Because this is the American way of life. If you have not come to a place of brokenness before God and absolute true faith in him, then you are consumed with the material. It's all about the job, about what you're wearing, what you're going to drink. It's about the here and now. And what you need to remember is this. Worry captivates the unbelievers. When we think like the world, we worry like the world. Friends, we have been rescued from that way of life. You've been transferred from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the beloved son. Speaking on this issue, uh, Tim Keller was actually on MSNBC's Morning Joe show. And he actually addressed this issue that if you and I do not find our identity in Jesus Christ, then it's actually like we're consumed by the material. This is what he said. Quote, when you make your work your identity, if you're successful... It destroys you because it goes to your head. If you're not successful, it destroys you because it goes to your heart. It destroys your self-worth. Faith in Christ gives you an identity that's not in work or accomplishment, and that gives you insulation against the weather changes. If you're not successful, you stay humble. Excuse me. If you're successful, you stay humble. If you're not successful... You have some ballast. Work is a great thing when it is a servant instead of a Lord. And let me give you one other truth that Jesus wants us absolutely fixed and focused on. In fact, when you look at verses 33 and 34, verse 33 is the heart and at the very centerpiece of the Sermon on the Mount. I will tell you this. If you miss verse 33, you're going to miss everything that Jesus is pointing to about how we're to live. You are going to continue to live the anxious, filled life. Look what Jesus said. Our priority is God's reign in us and our world. This is what we do. Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You see, the great antidote, the vaccine for anxiety and worry, it's pursuing Christ, his kingdom, and his righteousness. It's not seeking your rights or building your kingdom. If you think life is all about you and your rights, This is what I deserve. I'm standing up for my rights. It's about me, and it's about your little kingdom. Friends, you have missed what Jesus is calling for. He's calling for the priority. You seek me first. I want to be at the center of your life. Don't put me on the periphery. And that's what happens. So often, 
we treat God like a spare tire, right? And so everything's fine. You get a flat tire, and you just don't know what to do. You're on the side of the road. Everybody's passing you. Oh, I gotta, I just have to, I just gotta get my spare tire out so I can move forward. That's how a lot of people treat God, even Christians. I'm gonna do it my way. It's all about me. I'm cool. I'm cool with God. I'm hip. I'm a Christian. But you're really not seeking Him. You don't seek His wisdom. It's really not about you walking in His strength and in His ways. It's really about you doing what you want. And when convenient, you'll try to fit God in. And that's until you hit the wall. You got a major breakdown. And then, then now we're going to get serious about God. That's because we're treating him like the spare tire. He says, seek me first. My kingdom, my righteousness. Perhaps one of the most successful college football coaches of all time is a guy by the name of Bobby Bowden. Uh, He's retired now, but uh, he's best known for coaching Florida State University. Um, Bobby Bowden, quite a character. Uh, Years ago, I had the privilege of leading an invocation where he and Grant Taft were going to be doing like an interview. And uh, Bobby Bowden uh, was a guy who was very interested in the development of his players. So much so that he had a mandatory Bible study. This is at a state school. And if you played for him, you came to his weekly Bible study. And guess who led it? Bobby did. And what Bobby Bowden would do is he would it just pour into these guys because he was training them to be successful far more than just football. And one of the things he would do, Bobby Bowden loved to tell stories. Maybe it's something he picked up from Jesus who gave us so many parables. But he, one of his favorite stories that he'd pass on to all of his guys was when he was playing college baseball. And he's pretty successful, but uh, he'd never hit a home run. And um, so that was something that you know he wanted All the guys on the team kind of knew it, and finally it it happened. He was able to hit one down the right field line, and it kind of bounced in there, and it started bouncing around the corner, and man, Bobby just took off, and he's hauling it, and he's like coming around first base, and what do you do when you're coming around first? You look at that third base coach, right? And the third base coach is like, come on, come on. You know, Bobby is just, he is trucking it, man. He's that second, he's looking there, and he sees the third base coach, he's like, come on, and so Bobby is just making it, you know, and that outfielder is trying to get the ball in there and he just goes around third and he just trucks it for home and he makes it there and his team is elated he is getting all these high fives he's so excited he has got his first home run something he's always wanted to do but the ball came in the pitcher's got the ball and the pitcher's kind of looking over the situation and so the pitcher just takes the ball and he throws it to the first base and gets it in his glove, and the umpire goes, out! And apparently, Bobby, in all of his excitement, forgot to put his foot on first base, and he was out. He didn't hit a home run. He missed it completely. And then Bobby would tell his players this. If you don't take care of first base, it doesn't matter what you do. If you don't honor the Lord first, it doesn't matter what you do. And that's what Jesus is pointing out here. You and I, you want to stop living this anxious, filled life? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What is the kingdom? It's God's reign and rule 
in the lives of those who truly believe. Seek it first, his reign and rule in your life, in God's work in this world. Be consumed with it. I mean, we're pretty consumed about athletics and this and the stock market and what's going on in the entertainment world. Do you give the kingdom of God at least that kind of priority in your life? Jesus says, enough. Seek first my kingdom, what I'm doing in the world, how I am reigning and ruling in your heart. I'm addressing issues. I'm bringing you to maturity. And seek first my kingdom. I'm coming back. I will set everything right. I know that no one in the world is really waiting for me, but I have promised my return, and I'm batting a thousand. I've given you prophecies. I've given you a final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and it's going to give you great detail of what it's going to look, back, look like. Seek me first. And my righteousness? Well, that takes us all the way back to 517 in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Remember Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. I'm going to fulfill every single demand of the law. I'm going to be perfectly righteous so that I can, by virtue of my resurrection, give my perfect righteousness to everyone who believes in me. Seek that. Focus on my righteousness. Focus on me. And when you've got right relationship with God, you know what happens? You start living rightly in his strength. What, living for Christ, walking with him, that actually is important to you. You're not complacent. In fact, you are proactive. You will find that healthy Christianity is never complacent. If you're a, well, I'm just going to let go and let God, that's not, that's not Christianity according to Jesus. It is seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, and it is a way of life. It's not like, a one-time deal, the Greek tense is, this is how you and I live. It's not like, well, at the beginning of the year, I'm going to seek you, Jesus, and now I'm doing my own program. No, it's a way of life. And so he says, don't worry about tomorrow. You see that, verse 34? Because tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You seek me first. I love what Tony Evans said about this. He wrote, today is the tomorrow you were worried about yesterday. Isn't that right? Today is the tomorrow you were worried about yesterday. What we want to do, if you want the true antidote to worry, focus and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And what happens when when life is hard and difficult and you're facing some pretty trying circumstances and someone asks you, hey, how you doing? Tell them this, I'm trusting God. I'm trusting God and do it. Don't just say it, live it. Remember what Paul said in Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven? These are verses worth memorizing. He said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I mean, think of it. Here we are at the beginning of 2021. We made it. Hasn't God been faithful? Haven't you had some times in your life where you're like, I have no idea how I'm going to make it. I, I think this is going to devastate me. This, it's not, I, I'm not going to be able to move forward. I don't think I'm going to see the new year. You know what uh, worry does? It creates spiritual amnesia. You forget 
God's faithfulness. One of the ways the Jewish people worshipped is they go back all the way back to the beginning and they recount God's faithfulness to his people. And that's a real good practice for us today. We live by faith in the Son of God. So when anxiety knocks, we're going to answer the door with prayer. That's what we're going to do. Because, friends, God will always work things out for his glory. It may not be quite the way we want it, but he will always accomplish his purposes. He never wastes a trial. He calls us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You see, it is in trusting God that we will find the peace of God. And friends, this is how we will live with hope in 2021. We're putting our faith, going back to that train train diagram, in the facts of who God is and his truth. Remember, our faith in God allows us to live with hope in this life. Over the Christmas break, uh, I was in the hospital, uh, had some, some pretty sick people in our church. I think you're aware of some of those. One of those, and I've got permission to share this, was Madeline Rogers. Some of you know her. Um, she had some pretty serious heart issues, and they were trying to figure out what was going on. And so they did an echocardiogram, and she was telling me that they had these two techs, and they were doing this echocardiogram on her. And uh, I'm sure this shocked them, but she asked them this question. Do you see Jesus in there as they're looking at her heart? And they're like, looking at her? And she's looking at them. And then she said this. Well, you won't physically see him in my heart. But if you will see him, you will see him in my life. And I told her, well said. That's how people will see Jesus in our lives. When we're putting our faith in him and his truth and our faith in God allows us to live in hope in this life. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the tremendous privilege it is to be with your people. 